Hello, I'm James Fitzsimons, and welcome to The Career Scoop, a podcast all about career progression, advice, and experiences aimed at assisting those who are in career transition. Today, my guest is David Tucker, who's chairman of Worldwide Currencies and a former RAF fighter pilot. David, uh, great to see you this morning. Uh, what's the weather like in Bermuda? It's it's the usual hot and sunny, um, although we've got a few fish storms off the coast. So uh, we have had quite a lot of torrential rain on and off over the last couple of days, but um, still 30 degrees and the sun is shining. So I'm happy. Oh, that, that That's great. I mean, I know we met a number of years ago in Bermuda and I, I just love that you're obviously chairman of Worldwide Currencies, but you're also an RAF fighter pilot. So do tell from leaving school your career to date. Uh, well, uh, school, I went to um, King's College in London to do a physics degree and um, really didn't have a clue what I was going to do then. And I was sitting in a friend's common room and we were all thinking about what we're going to do next. And um, a girl I was dating from Guernsey, who I will never, ever forget because of this reason, said that... Uh, her elder brother was um, trying to get into the Air Force as a pilot and uh, had failed a couple of times, but wasn't intending to give up. And um, she quite fancied blokes in uniform. So um, I sort of took that on board and thought, oh, I'll have a go at that. <laughs> so on a whim, joined the Royal Air Force and never looked back, really. Uh, had a great time, travelled the world. Um I flew some incredible aircraft. Luckily, I uh, trained during the Falklands War and came out before the Gulf War, so never shot in anger. Uh, but um, uh, it really was uh, that sort of classic cliche of character building. Um, it learned, I learned how to become very independent. I learned how to juggle five or six things at once. Certainly in the um, the Harrier GR3, you would you were doing five or six things at once. Um, but it was a great experience. And um, when I came out, uh, it was a case of not, well, what am I going to get do next? It's a case of, well, there are so many opportunities, which one will I take? So um, went into the city of London and um, did the sort of stockbroker route initially, didn't particularly like that, or went to an IFA and set up their international division and that went reasonably well, but finally got snapped up by Mercer Investment Consulting and worked up uh, my way up pretty quickly to a European partner and um, had a lot of responsibility. Uh, we went from number five in the world to number one in the world within two years. Um, I was responsible for some of their market leading products uh, and really changed the approach to um, investment consulting going from a, uh, a time spent charging basis to charging per project, uh, which the rest of the investment consultants then followed suit. So that was, that was again, fantastic experience and involved a lot of global travel. Uh, following that, um, one of the um, uh, fund managers that uh, Mercer were um, researching offered me a job. So I flipped over to the dark side, as you would say, as an investment consultant and joined um, a global, ma global macro manager. Um, systematic approach, 
variance, covariance, risk matrix to um, uh, assign the to the various asset classes, typical central bank type model, and um, and did that for uh, four or five years. Took them from about two hundred and fifty million Aussie dollars to two point five billion US dollars. So we had very rapid growth during the time that I was there. Uh, then launched a few of my own hedge funds, um, sold an environmental hedge fund off to GE Capital, and then decided I'd had enough of whinging shareholders and complaining investors. So then um, started my own small VC company out of Bermuda and um, started looking for companies that were badly managed in sectors that had a poor reputation and tried to turn them around, take a new approach, new philosophy, and um, see if I could uh, generate value through a change of management and a change of approach. Already knowing that there was the possibility to um, make a good profit margin within those sectors, uh, but because of their the reputation and foreign exchange is a classic example of that. So uh, picked up worldwide currencies at a, an exceptionally cheap price. It was badly managed, had holes in the client accounts, refinanced it all and turned it around. And really by taking a different approach, foreign exchange really was the wild west where, and it still is to a degree where you, um, because the actual foreign exchange part of the transaction isn't regulated, people can pretty much quote any rate say and do whatever they want. It's only the actual payment part, money coming in, money going out, that is regulated. So the idea was to develop a company that offered more transparency, uh, more client service, more communication. And um, the prices are all pretty much the same, uh, but try and do an edge on pricing as well. And that's where I am today. I'm still working on that project. I've got a, a fintech company as well, where we developed a couple of um, cutting edge fintech platforms. In fact, Worldwide Currencies uses one of those platforms, TradeWave, um, as its um, uh, front office, back office and compliance um, tool. So uh, there's synergies between companies as well, where one is selling products to the other. So it's been a very varied career, um, a lot going on, uh, and um, long may it continue. I'm certainly happy with what I'm doing at the moment. I will start to uh, uh, maybe de-risk and take it slightly easier over the next couple of years, but um, not in a hurry to do that. Uh, enjoy being based in Bermuda, still do a lot of traveling, still have a massive passion for um, my old team Saracens and try and fly back to the UK for every home match. That can be challenging at times. Uh, and and I don't know what else you'd like to know, James. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's fabulous. And I'm just going back to, obviously, to, to your training, which you, you know, obviously the training in the RAF to be a fighter pilot, um, the technical, the, I mean, we look at the new movie, at the new Top Gun movie, and you see some of the scenes, which like this G-Force thing, you, you meant your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you, you have to get a balance, which you bring that to business world. And mm. I suppose maybe if it does it give you a clarity of seeing what's in front of you or did it help you develop a process of seeing clarity, looking at those companies you invested in? Uh, I certainly don't get rattled anymore. Um, I tend to s sit back and look at what's going on around 
me and um and make sensible decisions in a sensible time frame i mean that you know they always say when you're flying if something goes wrong uh, your first priority is keep flying the airplane <laughs> you know the everything may be falling apart around you but if someone's not flying the airplane you're finished so then you're trained to such an extent that you have certain procedures you then go through so if your engine fails something goes wrong someone comes into your picture that shouldn't be there first thing you do is keep flying then you go through your procedures um, in a very disciplined way in order to get you out of that situation or um, counterattack or whatever you have to do um, so that's drilled into you from a very very early age so that is applicable in business. You know, if things start caving in around you, you've got to keep things running. You've got to keep your company running. You've got to keep your staff going. You've got to keep, um, you know, the turnover ticking along. You've got to keep the, you know, the cash flow moving. Um, if your IT goes down, you know, keep the business going. Um, so that I use a lot. Um, the don't panic thing, you know, going back to dad's army, don't panic, don't panic. That, <laughs> you know, that's, that's something else. Um, and in fact, I was recalling a story with you recently where my, um, my wife's mother um, just got married in Bermuda, in fact, on the beach. And, um, and I, you know, I, I recounted to you, you know, one of them uh, with you having a wedding coming up as well with your daughter. Um, the most important thing is, is to stay calm and tell people not to panic. You know, things may fall apart around you, but you're still getting married. That's not going to change, well, unless the bride's doing a, a runner down the beach. Um, but, you know, it's all the, the first thing, don't panic. You know, just what's the worst that's going to happen? It's not going to yeah. happen within seconds. It's not going to happen within hours in business. It may happen within days, but hopefully by then you've thought of some sort of plan to get you out of that, that issue so that's my takeaway on that do, do you think you could put a module into kind of third level where people would do a course on don't panic uh so they start they start to learn because the, the world is moving so quickly now sometimes it's it, people don't know how not to panic yeah i mean information is is so available now um i mean you think when you and i were growing up and um, the way you got in touch with a mate is on a landline. And um, if they weren't at a home, it, it just rang and rang and rang. There were no answer phones. And uh, the worst scenario, if you're if you're going out on the lash, you the mother picked it up. You know, that was the worst possible scenario back in those days. These days, it's instant. Communication is instant. Information is instant instant you know something's going wrong a lot lot quicker and again going back to my old training days i used to try to explain people when flying low level at 600 miles an hour you're going over the horizon so as far as you can see every two to three seconds so uh you've got to think quickly uh and we're a bit like that now in business um, I mean, look at yesterday where, you know, GBP cable rate, GBP against USD, um, 
fell again. And in August, um, you know, over 5% drop. I mean, that's unheard of. And another big drop yesterday, people have to work quickly. And if you've got an invoice you need to pay or you've got um, a salary you need to settle overseas or a mortgage payment to make, then, you know, a blink of an eye, you've got the information. If you don't act, it's going to change. And it's a bit like that in business too now where things do change very rapidly. Um, You just have to think a bit quieter, but then sit back and think, well, what's the worst that can happen? You know, am I, is my business going to go bankrupt in the next day? No, it's not. Uh, you may lose 20, 30% of the value due to some unforeseen happening or piece of news or press. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a case of just sit back, take a few deep breaths, look at the situation, keep flying the aeroplane. Um, the worst thing you can do is immediately start firing things off in all directions and calling everyone and forgetting that you've still got a company to run. You've still got a job to do. You've still got a task to fulfill. Um, you know, don't get distracted. Don't lose focus. Um, and the other thing that I find slightly annoying about um, today's environment is that people tend to bounce from one headline to another. Again, it comes back to what I said about um, information being so readily available. And, um, and the media do not help. You know, they're, they're all about attach, a- attracting your attention. So they'll big something up as much as they possibly can. And uh, we're finding, um, not just in our industry, but in other industries, that people do tend to bounce from one headline to another, rather than just, and again, sitting back, taking a few breaths and saying, well, is that entirely accurate? Is that information right? What is the implication of that piece of news? And because there's so much of it, um, again, it's very easy for you to become distracted and not carry on doing the things you should be doing and managing people the way you should be managing them. What do you look for in the people that you you recruit? Well, we have different types of people. Front office, we want youngsters who have maybe a couple of years work experience who are hungry and poor. Um, and I mean that in the nicest way. Not uh, I want people who are ambitious, people who can work hard because um, the way our, we developed a four-year career path and the way it works is that first six months is probably the toughest six months you will ever have. You are put into telesales. <laughs> And what we want to do is see what your character is like, what your resilience is like, um, how you um, react to kickbacks and um, and how you think on your feet. So, you know, it's a bit like being put into, um, uh, I don't know, an F-35 after a day's training and told, you know, go and protect your country. Um these people uh, are doing 150, 200 calls a day. Um, they're getting a lot of rejections, um, and it's it's all about how they manage that. They're getting great support and great great um, uh, education along the way, um, but it really is a lot of thinking on your feet. Back office, totally different animal. Um, you want someone who's well-educated. You want someone who's got experience. You've got someone who's reliable. You've got someone who's got attention to detail. 
Um, but our biggest and fastest growing department is compliance. And it's quite interesting that, you know, the salary scales and compliance are going up as well. And uh, it's quite staggering. If you look at our compliance desk uh, five years ago, you know, it's grown by a factor of five, um, five times, that is, not five people. And uh, and the salaries have more than doubled, um, if not more. And And that's because it's such an important part of the business now. Um, it wasn't before, uh, but these days there's so much fraud. There's so much um, money laundering going on. There's um, the KYC is so onerous. The liability culture um, is growing. Uh, everyone is trying to de-risk. So uh, we have about three or four separate audits every year on safeguarding, on compliance, on KYC, our, our banking service providers audit us as well, as well as the FCA, HMRC. So uh, everyone has bigger and more focused compliance departments, whether it's on our side or the other side, and everyone wants to know exactly what you do and how you do it. Yeah, that, that's. I think that's right across the across the world in a sense oh. you're in financial service but tell us about you know who are your clients in worldwide currencies because uh, i i know we're a client of yours uh, yep. but just explain to people uh, it's such a you, you provide a brilliant service for uh, i've got to say the person in the street is probably but for someone who wants the access and you're, you're open for business to help them no absolutely i mean there are three client groups within worldwide currencies there's a private client so someone who's bought a house in bermuda um, lives in the UK, has a foreign currency mortgage and has to pay um, their mortgage payments every month in US dollars. They have to pay their electricity bill. They have to pay their cleaner. Um, so for that person, they may well buy forward. They may be buying, they may have a market order where uh, they know they need so much a month. So they have to change it to US dollars and it happens at a particular rate. Or they may have a market alert where um, they're getting an automatic alert when the rate goes through a certain rate and they change their money. They get um, their U.S. dollars into their client account and they tell us who the three or four beneficiaries are and how much we need to pay each one. And um, that is a typical private client. It may be a one off payment to buy a house. It may, as I said, it may be regular payments on an ongoing basis. Then you have corporate clients. Corporate clients, typical SMEs, uh, settling foreign currency invoices on a regular basis, maybe every month, maybe every quarter, maybe once a year. But these people are getting stuff manufactured overseas. They've got staff working overseas. They may be getting revenue in from overseas. And again, they have the option of um, uh, keeping it in the client's account and changing it when the rate is better for them, putting a market order in so it happens automatically no matter what time of the day and flips into the currency they want. Um, or we just keep them informed. And the final group is an institutional client. An institutional client to me is someone who's regulated. So our biggest client, for example, is Allianz, where we do a lot of their transfer pricing. Um, you know, those are hundreds of millions going around the world as opposed to a couple of thousand for a private client. Um, and these where we're, this is where we're working with um, a CFO or a treasury officer 
And there's a lot more planning. Um, we like to think that we um, give them a lot of information uh, so that they can make sensible decisions. Um, one thing that's coming out, in fact, we're starting to transition more into a fintech company now. Um, we're launching a new online trading portal, which I've been working on over the last uh, couple of months, and that should go live um, in October. And that's where um, uh, you can do everything yourself. So uh, at the moment, we generally uh, assign a, an FX consultant who works with you and, um, and you liaise with them with regards to what you want to do. Well, uh, as of October, you'll be able to log on, double authentication and do everything yourself. Um, and again, we have a great partnership with uh, NetDania, who provides a lot of charting. And you'll be able to see all these beautiful candle charts of how currencies have performed over the last um, um, three to six months. Uh, you can see trends, you can put trend lines in and start to make more informed decisions. But do it all yourself if you don't want to talk to someone. Gosh, that's that's uh, that's very exciting because it I is. suppose with, with the world and information and the world's going through quite a bit of flux at the moment mm -hmm. and um, currencies move very quickly. Um, do you ever, I mean, this word, the word recession has been bounced around and uh, uh, things like that. How, like the, the dollar is now on parity with the with the euro or above the euro, I think. Um, it is slightly above today, about uh, 99 cents. It's about, you, I'm just looking at the worldwide currencies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and where where do you see the world in the next 12 months? Or, you know, how, how, what affects, what are the macroeconomic kind of, events that affect like that dollar going ahead of the euro um it's it's all about i mean when i ran a currency fund it was all about the fundamentals you know uh, cash flows trade flows um interest rate differentials um and nowadays it's slightly different there are other factors it comes back again to bouncing from one headline to the next but um, I would say our biggest challenge at the moment is stagflation. Um, prices are on the rise. Uh, everyone's being pretty pessimistic about that. But unless um, certain global issues are sorted out uh, sooner rather than later, certainly with regards to um, uh, commodity and fuel prices, then inflation is still going to be an issue. And then it's down to who handles it best. And, it, and unfortunately, if we see rising inflation and static growth or decreasing growth, then we have an issue. And people are going to lose confidence in that country. They're going to lose confidence in investment in that country. And we're going to lose confidence in that currency. If this happens in Europe and the UK, it will impact the pound and the euro. If it's a a wider global issue, then US dollar is always the safe haven currency. Um, used to be Swiss franc for a while, but um, that sort of dropped out of favor. Uh, the Swissy now long is no longer as popular as it used to be. They have their own issues as well. So um, generally, if people want to de-risk, if they're coming out of stock markets, if they're coming out of international investment, what they tend to do is buy the US dollar. Okay. And as long as they're buying the US dollar, it's going to continue to straighten them. Okay. So that's 
there's a there's trust, even though with the with the divide in the US at the moment with the with the political left and right, uh, it's still there. It's still forefront. It's still the the go to. It is. It is. And there are issues in the US. Um, but people are saying, well, are those issues as bad as the ones that are in Europe and UK? Um, you know, it's all it's all comparative, really. Uh, but it doesn't matter if people are losing confidence in Japan. Uh, it's in Japan's an interesting one, actually, because um, uh, the economy is about to open up. I'm actually heading out there for a wedding in November. And um, luckily, things are opening up a little bit. But uh, because I've got a relative out there, I can get a visa to go out anyway. Uh, they're still in massive COVID mode. Um, uh, I don't know why. I don't know why anyone is anymore. Um, it, but um, Japan's an interesting one where the economy is now start just only just starting to open up. And um, they've got some some great value out there. Uh, and the uh, the yen has been under a lot of pressure and still is. Um, but, you know, people are selling Japanese stocks because they're worried about it. What do they do? They don't keep it in yen. They buy U.S. dollars. OK, OK. That's, uh, that's And people, I suppose, uh, uh, it's hard for people who, who don't know uh, because, in fact, that's... Uh, that's just the way it is. That's, that's also a psychological thing. And also, U.S. is such a strong economy. It is a strong economy. As I said, it's got its issues, um, yeah. but it's all relative. Yeah, it's big. Mentoring. Did you have mentors on your way through your career, or did you know you had mentors? Um, you should talk to my mother about this, because she's always said I'm a very independent um uh determined um uh overly confident person <laughs> um uh, i uh, and uh i do take advice i do listen to people but um i've never been mentored that much uh in the air force you are mentored all the time um you have your senior pilots you have your flight commanders you have your squadron leaders um once I got into the city, then um, it was very competitive and it was a case of, um, you know, do I trust this person <laughs> who's, who's telling me what to do? Is the information right? Um, so uh, I, you know, I got into the habit of cross-checking everything and, and not taking everything at face value. And in some ways, um, or one of my criticism is that sometimes I do believe people too easily. Um, and I've instilled this into my kids as well, you know, about um, it's far better to tell the truth immediately than it is to be found out at, that you are lying at some later stage. So, you know, I'm a great believer in, um, you know, tell it how it is. And uh, and certainly in meetings, people get a bit edgy about that because sometimes I tell it how it is and it's not what they want to hear. So um, I'd rather do that than lie about something or lead someone along. Um so I've always had that attitude. So some, I've been bitten on the butt a couple of times where I've listened and taken people's advice and then found out um, to my detriment afterwards that uh, perhaps it wasn't completely accurate and not the best advice. So, um, you know, I, I like to think that honesty is key um, and, um, and it's far better to tell things as they are from the start than pull the wool over someone's eyes and be found out at a later date to your detriment. 
Interesting. I suppose it's it's if you get the right people who are open hearted and doing it for the right for the right reason. Uh, and, yeah, they're, they're and I've come good. across a couple of those. Um, at Mercer, I had um, you know a couple of people there. Uh, there was a guy called Andrew Dyson who I thought was um, uh, he, a he was incredibly smart, um, and not the most sociable of people. You know, you put him in a social environment, he didn't have fantastic social skills, but a fantastic brain, uh, a great thought process, and um, and always provided you know honest and straightforward advice you know uh, he again once you get into business um you have to be careful a lot of people have political agendas um and uh, uh you know you always have to be aware of that so uh, again don't just rely on one person um get advice from a number of people you will find it will conflict and um, certainly within large companies there is a lot of politics being played. Interesting. Networking. What, yes. what do you do you network? I do network. I love networking. Um, I don't have as much time now. In fact, uh, my wife, Jamie, who works very closely with me, um, uh, handles my sort of Facebook, Instagram um, accounts. I do uh, Twitter from time to time. Uh, LinkedIn, I find, from purely a business point of view. Although I've noticed recently, people are sort of voicing political agendas and and personal things on LinkedIn, which really annoys me. You know, use use a um, uh, you know a social media uh, tool for what it's designed to be. And LinkedIn, for me, is very much about sharing information about business. Um, about developments um, uh, and it's science to a degree, uh, but not about um, personal matters um, and uh, and political matters. Uh, so I do use networking a lot. Um, in fact, uh, hand in hand with um, this launch of this new product, we're actually going to the Web Summit in uh, Lisbon. We just set up a new office in Lisbon in the process of getting regulated down there. But they have this Web Summit down there where um, they literally have 70,000, 80,000 delegates show up over a few days uh, to talk about uh, all that's good and great or not so good and great in the, in the cloud. Um, so uh, that will be a fantastic networking opportunity where, but I find again, um, don't just go to a conference, don't just go to a seminar, don't just go to it because it sounds good. Um, you have to go to these networking opportunities with an agenda, with an objective and have it clear in your mind, you know, exactly what you want to get out of it. Um, so that's important. So there's there's a lot of planning involved in that. And it, again, you could go back to um, uh, my flying days where, you know, before you get in an aircraft, you have a flight plan, um, you have an objective and, you know, you have certain touch points along the way that you have to achieve in order to get to your obje objective. And it's exactly the same when networking. Um no, don't just turn up and and chance it. Know exactly who you want to speak to, where you want to be, what uh, presentations you want to go to, what stands you want to visit. Write it all down. Uh, the great thing these days is you have a mobile phone where you can stick it all in your notes and tick it off as you do it. 
Yeah, it's funny. Uh, how about the ser serendipitous type of networking that stuff happens? You have to be in the room for stuff to happen, really. Is that what you That is true, yeah. And um, <clears throat> that uh, that's happened to me a lot as well. Um, again, if I go to a function, if I, even if I go to a dinner party, you know, well, you know what I'm like. I make the effort to speak to everyone. Um, again, this is something that my wife, Jamie, always comments on is that uh, I will talk to everyone, anyone, even the young girl checking me out at the supermarket. I'll have a chat with her or ask her how a day's going. You know, what have you been up to? What are you doing this evening? You know, I'll just chat. I'll just talk to them. Um, you know, it's... Uh, uh, I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to say this on your uh, recording, but you can um, uh, you can uh, cut it out later if not. But uh, again, something my mother said that sticks in my mind when I said, "Oh, I'd you know I'd had dinner with Prince Charles, for example," and and she said and she said to me, "You know, it's very important, David, that um, you treat everybody the same." Um, and uh, just remember, um, it doesn't matter if it's Prince Charles we all shit the same way. <laughs> oh, now, my mother is very prim and proper. <laughs> and she has okay. this perfect English uh, pronunciation. Yeah. And... Oh, I, I, I think we can let that go because that's it from your mother. Your mother, who's a certain age, where you can... She's 94. Is, she's yeah. 94, so... Um, she, she can say what she wants. She yeah. can. She, she's, but that's that's a lovely. But I suppose uh, we used to have, you know, the I, I had a friend uh, who was a uh, a uh, massage therapist, but he was a wood carver. He played Hurley into his sixties. He'd been in mm. the U.S. Marines. He's just one of these philosophers. He was a philosopher as well. But yeah. he used to, he used to laugh about uh, all the supermodels would come to him, fly over uh, to to be massaged because he was great yeah. fun. But he'd magic hands, and like he'd get rid of. And you know, uh, fat and tone up. But he used to tell the story about you know when you talk to people, do you not know who I am? And what he'd say, he said, well, just hold on for a sec. And he'd say to the people around, does anyone know who he is? Because he doesn't know who he is. And he, <laughs> and he said it always works. Yeah. That they, they, you know, the, you know, which is great. If you, I mean, you you from RAF pilot, fighter pilot, to what you're doing now. Is there anything else you'd say? Gosh, I, I'd love to have done that. Uh, I you know, like to be. I don't know. People say play for Manchester United or I don't know track across the Sahara or just something. You'd say if I had my time again, I, I'd like to do this. Um. Yeah, I mean there are a few things. I mean, I mean, I'm, I, I love, I love my motorbikes. I really do, and um, you know, I've still got a couple of uh, beautiful, beautiful Italian racing bikes. And I must admit, um, I would have loved to have had a go at, uh, at GP racing. Um, I think the, uh, the excitement, the, um, the risk, the, the fact that you're on two wheels rather than four. I mean, you know, I've, I've done loads and loads of track dailies. You know, I've raced GT3s for a bit. Um, you know, I've done the, the speed thing, but I've never done it on the bike. In fact, um, that's... I had a bit of a scare once where um, a friend of mine years ago used to be head of um, Europe marketing for Europe for Yamaha. And um, I'd driven up to Assen for the GP up there. And he said, oh, look, you know, we've got a couple of um, a, a couple of uh, bikes here. Um, let's take them on the track. We've got a couple of our up and coming GP stars coming through. 
And um, in fact, one of them turned into a world champion. He said, uh, you know, they'll take you on the track. And these guys were like, one of them was 16 and one of them was 18. And the four of us got on these bikes. And I, you know, I, I thought I was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> as you do and um i can remember you know we were warming up and i thought wow these boys are quick and then when we started to sort of really accelerate and take it a little bit more seriously uh, you know we were following the two of them and i was thinking in my mind when is he going to break when is he going to break why isn't he breaking he's not breaking <laughs> i'm breaking <laughs> and it was just unbelievable the, the the feel they have for these machines the you know it's almost as if they're part of it and they were just doing things so much later than i was um i don't know whether it was out of feel whether well i'm sure experience but um uh, that always sort of ignited a fire in my belly thinking oh god i wish i'd done this <laughs> Gosh, so, you know, yeah, it's it's a but there's also potential age thing there, potentially. Oh, I know, I know. I played my last charity rugby match at the age of uh, 50 and um, and probably couldn't um, move for about a week after that. Um, and at that point, um, decided to hang up my boots. And um, and that was definitely an age play. The, the mind was still uh, telling me that um, I was uh, 25 and at my peak, but the body was screaming no. Um, yeah. So that was a classic. Yeah. But, you know, it's still very active. You know, it wasn't that long ago, three or four years ago, pretty sort of pre-COVID stuff that, you know, I climbed a mountain in a in a rainforest in Australia. Um, uh, you know, I've been portaging up in the lakes in um, on the Canadian border, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still very, very active. I'm, st in fact, I was sitting down yesterday with Jamie, planning our next big adventure, um, uh, and where we're going next. We had, uh, in fact, during COVID, COVID was fantastic for so many different reasons. One of the fact was that there were hardly any tourists around. Secondly, airports were empty, and flights were cheap. Um, because I turn into a bit of a monster when I'm going through an airport because I do it so much. In fact, Jamie says I turn into airport mode and I suffer fools, um, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, uh, badly, very badly. And um, uh, <laughs> we went up to Iceland, in fact, and spent um, a couple of weeks up there, which is nature at its most violent and its most beautiful. And we're lucky to see a new um, vent of volcano open up literally 30 meters in front of us. It was quite spectacular. Um, in fact, it's that same volcano has gone live again very recently. And, um, and I love uh, a challenge where, you know, you're hiking or climbing for two or three hours and then something spectacular is waiting for you, whether it's a beautiful vista, whether it's a volcano, whether it's a waterfall, um, uh, I don't mind, but um, that I absolutely love. Uh, so uh, I don't mind getting, um, uh, you know, sweaty and dirty and and pushing my body to its limit if uh, at the end of it there, there is some sort of reward where you think, wow, that okay. was, worth, that was well, worth it. Yeah, well, that, uh, that's a lovely soft. You shared a, a lovely soft side here in that sense because that's just been in the moment because, I mean, I was going to ask you about workplace stress 
uh, mindfulness, all this kind of stuff. But mm. obviously travel to places that provoke you and maybe provoke you to go into that really lovely space. But, yeah. you know, the activity gets you there. And then maybe there's time stop a bit for you and you just be there and take it in. And then you get renewed by that energy and then you off you go again. Oh, gosh, yeah. And um, s- certainly when we're down in Australia doing some uh, climbs and hikes, um, we did some fantastic mountain biking down there as well. You know, when you're going along this trail in the middle of a nowhere and you have all these kangaroos suddenly hopping alongside of you and crossing in front of you. Um, and in Iceland, again, some phenomenal challenges. Um, uh, it's when you get to that that place, that spot, and you sit down and you take in everything around you, sometimes it's difficult to get up from that spot. It's difficult um, to think, uh, oh, gosh, I need to get going. You know, I could stay there for hours. I really could. And um, and then you've got to be reminded, well, hang on a minute. You've now got the four or five hour track back and you've got to do it before it gets dark or bef- uh, to get to the next campsite or the, the next meeting point um, at a certain time. So, uh, yeah, I can I can definitely sit there uh, and just take it all in for hours and think about absolutely nothing clear your head and just take in what's going on around you um i do love that and you can get that in a city environment as well don't get me wrong you know you can go to tokyo and um and uh and fight your way through the hustle and bustle and then get to a beautiful temple on the top of a hill overlooking the city and think wow um you know this is this is so peaceful here and there's all of this going on in front of me Gosh, I, I love the way because I said from the contrast and how your whole body language, I, I know our listeners won't be able to see you how when you talk about that, it's obviously a lovely place to be, particularly yeah. in those little spots that you arrive. My second last question is that uh, I know you're a passionate uh, rugby uh, supporter of a team called Saracens. Have you got over when they were demoted to Division 2? I know they're on the way back up. Sorry, when have I... Got Did over I... when... When they were demoted, um, I would have done if I was allowed to. But um, uh, luckily, I mean, it was perfect timing for us. It really was. Um, I won't go into the details of it because um, that gets my blood temperature up a little bit. Um, and I thought it was very um, poorly handled and very unfair. But our time in the championship was perfect because it was during COVID. Um, all the games were played behind closed doors because um, you weren't allowed crowds they cut the number of games from um, 18 to 9 so as far as loss of revenue as far as um the commit was commitment was concerned it was minimal and um you know we came back with a vengeance and um and i thought i was at the game i thought we were very unlucky to lose in the final um we went off game plan a little bit um a mistake by our number nine to get himself yellow carded for 10 minutes probably killed us. And, um, and some um, interesting refereeing decisions, but um, again, throughout my rugby career and, and everything else I've done, never blame the officials. It's they're just doing their job and um, you know, it swings and roundabouts. And that's, you know, one of my, one of my philosophies in life is what goes around comes around. <laughs> I do, I do believe in karma, and um, and uh, 
you know, it's, uh, you can, and I've noticed it more and more now, you can blame the ref. And um, and there was that classic scene in when South Africa played Australia, where um, de Klerk um, swiped White's moustache. And, um, and thanks to some uh, fantastic theatrics, got a yellow card for it. Um, a, the theatrics aren't, do not belong in um, rugby. And I think that's appalling to use that to try and get someone uh, yellow carded. Secondly, de Klerk, should have known better and um, and swung his arm more accurately and uh, and stay away from moustaches. Um, but the third point was South Africa were on the back foot anyway. Um, Australia were playing incredibly well. They'd already won the referee over um, and um, decisions were already going their way and things they were doing were not being picked up. So in that situation, recognize that's happened and adjust your behavior accordingly and don't take any risks. Uh, I, I, as a referee who I was a referee for 27 years, you have to work the referee. Exactly. If you work, if you work the referee, they're not necessarily going to be in your favor, but they may just hesitate from penalizing you for something that might penalize somebody else. It's a human thing. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, in a scrum back on their um, five meter line, you know, it's the chance you winning is remote. The chance of you disrupting it is remote. So why take the risk? You know, reset. Think about your tactics overall, not how you can knock the ball out of the scrum off's hand as he takes it out the back of the scrum, for God's sake. Um, but I thought it was still a little unfair. But anyway, yeah, beat him a, in chest. So five words to describe your career. To date, I think there's a bit more to come. Uh, I would think I don't see you uh, uh, um, laying down in any uh, or, or retiring per se. So what, 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 what would you, what, what words would you share with us? Um, it's been challenging. Uh, shown a lot of resilience. Uh, you know, I've had my failures and bounced back. That's another important thing that we haven't spoken about. Is you know, prepared to admit you've made mistakes learn from those mistakes and move on. Um, that is really difficult to do, by the way. And people say that very nonchalantly. Oh, you make a mistake, you know, move on, learn from it. Um, that's not as easy as it sounds sometimes, um, the admitting the mistake or the learning from it. Um, so I would certainly say challenging, resilience, um, I've had a lot of excitement in my life. Um, I, I generally calmness, you know, staying calm in control. Um, I would say that's, a, and I need, do I need one more or two more? Oh, Happy. One, one more. Happy. Happy and fun. Fun. Oh, I've had a loads of fun. Um, I've been under a lot of pressure at times, I mean, I can remember, you know, working until two, three in the morning at Mercer to get a particular proposal out um, to a new big, uh, you know, pension fund. And, um, you know, I've, I've had to really put the hours in at times um, and been under a lot of pressure. But at the end of the day, when you look back at it, you think, yeah, I enjoyed that. I've enjoyed it. Ups and That's downs. Uh, that's a great way to, great way to finish i've enjoyed it and uh but it's, i want to thank you so much for taking your time today david best of luck with the with the new you know fintech business which which world mm. currencies is morphing into i've sent yeah. creating more opportunity and i look forward to 
catching up with you in person, uh, whether it be in London or, or, or back across in Bermuda, the next time we share a beer together. I will. Um, I'll send you the dates of our uh, home match against London Irish. Oh, that that's great, David. Listen, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Career Scoop, brought to you by Elevate Career Advice and Elevate Executive Selection, Dublin and Bermuda. I'm James Fitzsimons, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. Bye. <laughs>